I search the world But it couldn't fill me A man's empty praise And treasures that fade Are never enough And you came along Put me back together Every desire is now satisfied Here in your love Oh, there's nothing better than you There's nothing better than you There's nothing, nothing is better than you Still call me friend Cause the God of the mountain He's the God of the valley And there's not a place Your mercy and grace Won't find me again Cause there's nothing shame into glory you're the only one who can you turn morning to dancing you turn morning to dancing you give beauty for ashes you turn shame into glory
turn seas into highways You're the only one who can You're the only one who can You're the only one who can Oh, there's nothing better there's nothing better than you. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Yes, hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Bless you. The book of Ephesians. We are still in Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, please open up to... Uh, page 1157, 1157, as we're going to finish the last half of chapter 2 this morning. Rather than read the whole thing right now, because it's quite a bit, I'll read it in chunks as we work through this morning. Um, and I want to pray just for our time before we, we dive into the Scriptures. I can't pray enough. Jesus, we, um, we lift up our time before you now as we go into your Word. I, I pray for the humility that we would come beneath your word. Your word is our authority. And Lord, we pray that we would uh, take heed to it, Lord. We pray for listening ears this morning to hear your voice speak. We thank you that we heard it, Lord, in our time of worship and just uh, through Pastor Jim as, you, as, you, uh, as he led us. And we, we're thankful for that time. We continue our time of worship now in the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that whatever words are said this morning would be from your spirit, would be in line with your scriptures. And so give us uh, ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the resurrection, which is why we gather on Sunday mornings and not on Wednesday or Friday. Lord, it is on this morning, this day of the week, that you burst out of that grave, Lord. And we are once again in celebration of that day. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So as we uh, dive into this, um, this sermon title this morning is Tearing Down Walls of Hostility. Um, we've said it many times before here, and I'll say it again. The gospel is not an evacuation plan, right? It is not a message that says, well, I believe in Jesus, and so I'm just going to sit on my hands as I wait until I'm dead so I can go to heaven. Like that's... It's, that's certainly heaven is, is part of the wonderful message of the gospel, but there's a life to live in between that, and it's not a plan just to hang out until that day comes, right? The gospel is a call to radical living, intense, radical, upstream living here in this world. And as we'll see, Paul is specifically addressing in this portion of Scripture, um, which will be verses 11 through 20 through, uh, the, the racial divide between Jew and Gentile. That was a big deal for the early church. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see that was one of the, the, that was the first stumbling block for the church was a primarily only Jewish group, uh, Jesus' disciples that came out of Jerusalem and Pentecost happened, mostly only Jews. 
and they began seeing that non-Jews, Gentiles, uh, Romans, and those kind of people were also believing in Jesus and receiving the Spirit of God. And they said, I don't know, what do we do about this? Like, how do, how do we wrestle with this, right? That was one of the first early questions, and Paul is addressing that question, we'll talk about that for sure, because it's still a very relevant thing to talk about, but the topic of reconciliation that he addresses on this last half of chapter 2 is, is even larger than that, right? Because we know in Ephesians 1 verse 10, we saw it in the first sermon on this series, that the plan of the gospel is to unite all things in Christ. Colossians 1.20 says, God is working through Christ to unite all things, whether on heaven and on earth, whether things in heaven or on earth. This dividing wall of hostility, as Paul calls it, as we're going to look at, this dividing wall of hostility, it comes in many forms. And I think, I wrestled with like, you know, how do I give you just an ample summary of how to identify a, a wall of hostility? And I, I believe it can be as simple as saying, whatever divides people, you'll be able to find some kind of wall that has been built that has helped to cultivate that hostility. That can come in the form of family relationships that have been broken. Whatever that event is, boom, we're gonna, whatever was a catalyst of that uh, brokenness, you'll find a dividing wall of hostility, right? Uh, wherever in your life there is a division between you and others, there is a wall built. And we're going to find out in this portion of Scripture that um, when brokenness between people are involved, the first and primary brokenness that is involved is between people and God. It's kind of interesting. The last, uh, last week's sermon was really about kind of our coming to Jesus and our becoming Christians, and by grace you have been saved through faith, and we saw that, right? And so that's kind of like the love God piece, okay? And then the last half is Paul says, okay, it's, it's also love God. You, you've come to God. You've, you know, you've turned from your sins and asked forgiveness, and we have grace upon grace upon grace. It's not by your works, and we saw this last week. But now how does that bleed out onto those around you? Right? How does that affect the rest of your life now that you are in Christ, in God, and the Spirit is in you? What does that do to the rest of your life right, in those around you? How does the gospel then guide your relationship with his people around you and also those outside of the church? We're going to find out this morning the gospel drives us to radical living, and even it calls us to... to uh, identify those areas of brokenness and actually not just kind of walk up to them, but actually storm them with confidence that says, Lord, if you've reconciled me to yourself, right, then if that was a miracle in and of itself, Lord, that it means that whatever brokenness we find out there, that if we run to that in the name of Jesus, that we believe and we know that you can bring radical healing and reconciliation even in the most darkest places in our lives. I want to bookend the sermon with a story about a man named Billy Neal Moore. Billy Neal Moore, back in the 70s, um, early 70s, he, he, uh, in 1974, he's a 22-year-old man. He was strapped for cash. He was in a broken marriage. Life was really rough. He had a little boy. Things were not going well. One day he was high and tipsy on alcohol. He knew of a guy in his small town that the rumor was he always carried tons of cash with him in his wallet. And so in his uh, state of mind, he thought it'd be a good idea to break into this man's home 
and find that cash. Well, he did. The, man belong, the man's home, it, it, uh, the guy's name that he lived there was named Stapleton. Stapleton realized there was an intruder in his home. He opens fire. More fires back, and he kills the seven, seven-year-old Stapleton. He finds $5,000 of cash. He goes home, and the overwhelming guilt of what he has done, it hit him. And he didn't run away. He just waited at his house. He knew the police would come get him, and they did. He was arrested, immediately sentenced to the death penalty. So as he was in prison, someone shared the gospel with him. He heard about the radical forgiveness in Christ. He heard about the unbelievable nature of the love of Christ, that even he could be forgiven. He decided to write a letter to the family of the man whom he killed. This is how the first letter was written. It said this. He said, I want you to know that I am truly sorry for all the pain and suffering that I have caused each one of you. And he says, if you can find it in your heart to forgive me, I would really, truly appreciate it. But if you don't, I understand because I don't forgive myself for the terrible suffering I brought you all. More than received a letter of response, and I'm going to leave you hanging because I'll read that letter of response at the end of our sermon. And what you're going to find is the new life he received through that letter. But push Paul's in that story, and let's dive into our portion of Scripture. Beginning in verse 11, Ephesians 2. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, Gentiles just simply means not Jewish, Uh, uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. So you read that and say, okay, what's going on? Maybe some of you were raised in the church and have kind of a grasp of what's going on. Maybe some of you do not. So we got to walk through the biblical story here to kind of keep in track, like what is Paul addressing here? Well, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, after even Adam and Eve, after they fell, they had a broken relationship between God and even between themselves, and their own children began murdering one another, right? There was a thread throughout the first uh, 10 chapters of Genesis that God was still pursuing humanity. He didn't just leave them alone. He didn't just exile them out of the garden after they sinned from the temptation of the servant, but he was He was pursuing them, and some still had knowledge of of God, even in their new sinful, broken state. And we get all the way up to chapter 11, which is a really unique story, about the Tower of Babel. When, uh, When God told humanity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, humanity in their sinful state did not fill the earth, but they stayed together. And they were in one single place. This is after the flood, and, and they were building this tower. It says to, to reach the heavens, right? And the goal of this tower they were building was saying, we want to make a name for ourselves. You want to be, we want to be something, right? You see the hubris and the arrogance of humanity that is still present, just like it was in the garden when Adam and Eve thought they could handle the knowledge of good and evil when God said, you can't handle it. This isn't yours to have. Well, now here they are saying, we're going to make something awesome of ourselves, maybe even be able to reach heaven through our own efforts, right? Ancient peoples thought building these ginormous buildings was almost a way 
to achieve immortality, right? That their reputation would be attached to this building that would far outlast their own life. And it's probably something that was going on here. And it's funny because it says as they built this tower to reach the heavens, it still says God had to come down to look at it. Like, guys, this ain't that high, all right? I still got to come down to check out what's going on, right? So he stoops down and he sees their arrogance, right? And he says, he says, if, if this continues on, he says, nothing's going to be impossible for them. And what he's really saying there, he's saying this unrestrained nature of, of this building project and just the, the absolute, you know, dirty conscience that has no bounds here, that this will, this will not be where they will stop. And their pride and arrogance, they're going to continue to try to do these God-sized things. And if you know the story of humanity, eventually, when we tried to do such things, we end up bringing destruction even on ourselves. And so what does God do, right? Instead of judging them and kind of going, you know, wiping them off the face of the earth, what does he do? In his mercy, that's right, in his mercy, he makes them unable to speak with one another, right? And suddenly they're all talking various languages and, and the groups of different languages are forced to separate and then they fill the earth, but now they're unable to speak to one another, right? And different nations came about from this, and there's more to that. But the tension kind of after Genesis 11, you're saying, all right, God, if you're pursuing humanity, you wanted to reconcile them back to yourself to once again make that relationship right. Well, God, you just really put yourself in a predicament because now they can't even talk to one another, right? Now, now the hostility is going to be crazy. Like, what are you going to do? The very next chapter is a man named Abram, where he says, I want to choose Abram, later known as Abraham, which means the father of many nations. I want to choose you. I'm going to bring about a nation from you, and that nation is going to bless the world. Again, you see this program of God, which was to, to build a nation to bring about a blessing to the world. And you see that he is not done with all of humanity, but as he confused their languages, he's going to use one nation to eventually reach all the nations. As you keep going on, Isaiah would speak of this, this role of Israel to be a light to the nations, that, that God's salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And if you read the Old Testament story, there's tiny little glimpses that maybe that was happening, but for the most part, it did not happen. Later in Israel's history, they rejected their own God. They themselves were divided and their, nation, their own nation split in half. And eventually, they didn't even want God as their own God. They themselves were at war with one another, at war with other nations, and eventually they looked very different from the nations around them. But we know that, I'm skipping so much of the story here, where did Jesus come from? He came from that nation, right? He was born in Bethlehem as a Jewish man. And if you trace Jesus all the way back to Abraham's uh, story in Genesis chapter 12, you see that God was going to bring about that blessing for the world through Israel, and it was through Jesus, the Messiah. He would be that blessing to all families of the earth. And finally, once again, the, the door to find uh, a reconciliation from God and humanity would be burst open through the cross of Christ where Jew and Gentile could then share the same God together, saved beneath the blood of Jesus. So that's the brief background. Just a little side note. If you want to understand, you know, this is a big book. My, my children tell me all the time, like, you know, it's like, how do you understand it's such a long book? I mean, it is. There's a lot going on in this Bible. 
To understand what the New Testament teaches, it's just absolutely crucial that you know there's a story going on in the Old Testament because it really helps you understand because that's kind of the, the, the living imagination that these authors are writing about, that Paul is writing about. And so a reminder that this is a book called Ephesians. It's written to a church in the, in the ancient city of Ephesus. These were not Jewish people. These were Christians who were not Jews. They were Christian Gentiles, if you will. And so this is who Paul is writing to. So I'm going to read these early verses one more time. Now with that story in your background, let's read these first few verses again. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth, because Paul himself was Jewish, right, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope, and without God in the world. In those ancient times, if you were a Gentile, you were not part of God's family. Sometimes you, you see exceptions in the Old Testament of non-Jewish people becoming a part of God's family. You see that plane was kind of working, but for the most part, there was the Jews and there was the Gentiles, right? And if you were a Gentile, Paul says, you didn't have any hope at that time, right? There was, you weren't a worshiper of God. You were not a part of his family, but there's a crucial word in verse 13, just like we saw last week. He says, but... Something changed, but something happened, right? In verse 13, let's continue on. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. So there's, there's temple language here, okay? In those ancient times, there was a temple. that's still standing when Paul was writing this, right? And in this, when he says brought near by the blood, okay, the, the idea was this. In these ancient temples, in the ancient temple in Jerusalem, okay, if you sinned, okay, that the result of sin was death. There had to be payment on your behalf. You were estranged from God, but God provided a way to once again be reconciled to him, if only temporarily, by bringing a sacrifice. And the blood of that animal was in place of your own. And at least for that time, you were brought near until you sinned again, which more than likely happened as you were walking away from that (laughs) sacrifice, right? Because we know our hearts are just desperately wicked, right? But Jesus was a much better sacrifice, says Paul, and that his blood has once and for all brought us near. That the next sin or the next sin, the next sin does not require a more and further bleeding Jesus, but he bled once and for all for our sins. And that nearness to God has opened up permanently, that we always have access to God the Father now, Jew and Gentile. In verse 14, he says, he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, if you look at, I should have put a picture up. Oh, well, I'll maybe send one out. I don't know. You can look it up if you want. Um, The ancient temple in Jerusalem, uh, it was huge, okay? It was like a 30 acres or something like that, complex, just, it was so ginormous that it's still standing for the most part, the platform at least. And some of the old walls of it still there. Uh, the temple itself is not there. But there was this huge, massive open area. If you were Jewish or Gentile or Roman, didn't matter. You could walk around that area. But there was a temple complex in the middle of this massive portico, okay? 
and only if you were Jewish could you enter there. There was a little barrier kind of built right around that temple, and uh, that was kind of the symbolism that says, if you aren't Jewish, do not walk through here, right? It kept out everybody who was not Jewish, and they actually dug up an inscription on that little barrier, that balustrade, that's the word they used here. Um, and I'm, it's kind of funny because imagine having this like above the, your, your front door in your house, okay? It says this, no stranger, that means, you know, no Gentile, is to enter within the balustrade or the barrier around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. It's like, whoa, I feel so welcome here. I feel so welcome, right? Imagine that's like your front door statement, right? This wasn't just like division. Like you can see there's some hostility here. Like there's an undercurrent of actual like hostility present in that statement, okay? Um, It was a symbol, not only just the Jew and Gentile disrelations, but I believe we can look at that barrier and we can start thinking about even in our own life that, that wall of hostility can be a symbol of the wall of hostility and the big picture stuff between nations, between races even today, between broken relationships, between whatever divisions we find amongst humanity, to, humanity today, they're just different versions of that barrier that was built around that temple. As we're talking about this, someone asked the question, are there dividing walls of hostility in your own life? Have you built a wall? to push some people out of your life? And have you not even thought about what it would take to break through that wall, reach out to them, and mend something broken in your life? I want that question to ruminate as we continue on. We know that Babel was a massive wall that was built of hostility that just gave birth to nations just not getting along and never being hard to even talk to one another and creating such mass problems. But we know at Pentecost, something amazing happened that was symbolic of that wall getting torn down in the temple because at Pentecost, when there was people from uh, all nations that said, under the host of heaven, underneath the Roman Empire, spoke different languages, when the Holy Spirit fell, Babel was reversed because these early disciples started talking in languages they did not know. And if you read Genesis 11 and look at Pentecost, you say, wait, God, he, he, he reversed Babel. Like, it, it's the message that says that there is a, a gospel, a good news that's going to supersede even national boundaries, even languages, supernaturally, that God is on a mission through his son Jesus by the power of the Spirit to, be, to, to make a new humanity. That is what he is doing, friends. That's the large scale, and your little life, right, in the midst of this large scale, it still matters to God, and your issues and your hostility that may be in your life up against others, that still matters to him. Because a miniature form, that is what he was sent to die for and to reverse by his spirit. This was a global work of reconciliation between God and man through the cross of Christ. And so Paul continues on. He says, as as we go in verse 16, he says, His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. That's verse 15. Verse 16, and in his one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both 
have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners. You are no longer aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Verse 21, in him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. There's so much going on there. All over the New Testament, we see this miraculous work of the gospel bringing people together who prior was told either by their own society or by their own family, by whatever other ways and other influences around them that they should not be together. We see a man named Zacchaeus in the Gospels who spent his life taking advantage of people just to increase his own wealth, meeting Jesus. And he says, holy cow, there's so many people that I have offended and and stolen from essentially over the years. I got to make this right. I have to be reconciled to them. I want to pay them all back four times over. And then Jesus says, ah, salvation has come to this house. We hear in the famous parable of Jesus, a Samaritan, a race that was not liked by the Jewish people, perhaps even kind of for good reason, in that parable stopping to help a Jew, his enemy, who had been robbed and beaten up And the Samaritan even paid for the man's medical bills until he was healed. That was a vision of Jesus, of reconciliation, two enemies being reconciled together. We see an Ethiopian eunuch from Africa meeting a Jewish man named Philip. And after having a Bible study, this Jewish man leads the African to Jesus. And suddenly these two are now brothers in Christ. Two men that were originally estranged even by continents, right? And the gospel goes forth into two different areas of this globe. We see a Roman soldier in the town of Philippi who was found among the Romans who were beating Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, who then met Jesus. And then he found himself stooped down cleaning out the wounds of these men after he himself met Jesus. We hear of God loving us even while we were his enemies says in the New Testament. We hear Jesus telling us also to love our enemies, to love those that we are in disparity against. It is a call, friends, to be actively seeking reconciliation in the places of our lives where it is needed. If what we see is true in this portion of Scripture that we read this morning, that we are now brought near, that we are now citizens of His kingdom, that all of us have a place at his table as Christians, that we are all being built on the foundation of the apostles and of the prophets of this thousands of years old work of God that's been unfolding in this world, all of God's revelation leading up to our chief cornerstone that we are being built on, Jesus Christ himself, that this new humanity that he is building is the housing of the Spirit of God as his temple now on earth. The question remains is this, where is that reality in his work? Where is it absent in your life? Where have you been kicking against reconciliation to take place in your own life? There are a few things I want to address at the end of our sermon today, but 
I want to go back to the story of Mr. Moore. If you have broken relationships in your life, if there's a general lack of trust that exists between you or someone else, these verses in the book of Ephesians tells us that it is possible to find reconciliations we'll see even in the life of Mr. Moore. And the question is, how big is your gospel, friends? Is it possible, and I encourage you, that um, I'm going to challenge you this morning to take steps in this direction, right? Um, before I uh, continue on, I want to I tell you what happened with, with Billy Moore. Um, Moore, the man who murdered Stapleton, became a Christian. He decided to write letters to the family of the man that he murdered asking for forgiveness, still knowing that he didn't even forgive himself, but he was drawn to do so. The first letter he returned that he received back from the family said this. This is from his niece, but representing the whole family. She said, Dear Billy Moore, we are Christians, we forgive you, and we pray to God for your soul and hope for the best in your life. That was it, first response. But what happened, though, for the next 16 years was a continual correspondence between him and this man's family. And what happened in the 16 years was 13 delayed dates for his own execution. And the family did something miraculous. They realized he left behind a little boy and a wife as he was in jail. And this family of Stapleton's family started making sure that they had food that they had housing. They started writing letters to the judge saying, Mr. Moore's different. You should consider paroling him. You should should consider his release. And they fought on behalf of the man who murdered Stapleton. Eventually, Billy Moore uh, was indeed paroled in the early 90s after almost 20 years in jail. He's now a pastor, travels the country, sharing the story of redemption and radical reconciliation in his own life. He's been He's taught and or shared his story in Yale and Cambridge and written books and he's he's he, he's sharing of the radical nature of forgiveness and reconciliation that can occur when the gospel is present. And so I want to address you this morning in, in multiple. I'll start big and I'll go small. Okay, reconciliation is messy. It is, looks like a cloud in front of you that if you walk into it saying, I, I want to step into this messiness. I know the gospel's big. I know the blood of Christ is enough. This is a cloud of chaos in front of me, but I know Jesus is enough. I know that he has forgiven me, so I need to step into this and see if I can find the power of his gospel through me to find reconciliation with the broken relationships in my own life. Um, large scale here. I'd be remiss. Okay, start big and go small. If we do not discuss racial tension that has started throughout history and also throughout even our own nation's history, the black community in America still carries within a single lifetime, not that long ago whatsoever, the realities of segregation. It's not even it's 60 years ago that was happening in our own country. The white community has been accustomed in our nation to be the ones in authority, the culture creators. And as our nation becomes more and more diverse, I am seeing even evangelical institutions just struggling to know what to do with an increasingly diverse America, especially here on the East Coast. And these are the stirrings of the different versions and and, uh, nuances we see of still the racial disparity happening even today in our own nation. The key to reconciliation in these very complicated areas is this. It does not begin with ourselves. It begins with the cross of Christ. 
We must look to the cross and realize that there is no offense or sin that has not been paid for by the cross. We realize that any authority or power we thought we used to have, that we've been humbled by the Son of God who gave up his own seat of authority in heaven and became one who was served, not seeking to be served. Knowing Jesus first enables us to no longer see people as merely white or brown or black or Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal, but rather all who are in need of the saving blood of Jesus to be the first and foremost identity of us all, all who are worthy of serving and loving because Jesus loved and served us, and especially for our Christian brothers and sisters. The very temple built on the foundation of Christ We are the example of that kind of unity that the world has been struggling for millennia to find. We should be the example of that, and often the church is not. May it be true of Emmanuel as we step into the future here in our nation. As we continue on in our own life, I want to speak um, directly to this church this morning. Um, I know many of you in this room, um, whether uh, directly related to our church's history or just in your own personal life, um, I know that some of you have broken relationships that you have not dealt with in your life. Um, You've shared these things with me, okay? Many of you. I'm not just talking to one person. It's like, is he talking to me? Like, no, no, no. Like, I'm talking to all of you here. I've sat with almost all of you in this room numerous times. And many of you have broken relationships, even some in, this, with some in this room, with some who are no longer in this room, that you haven't dealt with. And as we read Ephesians 2, we realize that if Jesus went to the lengths that he did to pursue reconciliation, my plea to you is, I know it's messy, but church, we got to do it. I'm not quite sure if there's been a culture here of knowing really how to have those kinds of conversations at this church, but I'm going to read a few scriptures to you. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree there be no more divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind, the same judgment. 2 Corinthians 13, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace in God, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And it's not just our church, guys. Churches go through this. Churches struggle, right? Christians aren't above these things of having broken relationships, even in their own congregations. If it's not here, it's somewhere else, right? And it's going to happen more in the future, okay? Because we're all still fallen people struggling to get to know Jesus more and to be more and more like him. But my, my question for you guys and my call is this, is if you carry offenses towards anyone, even in this room, or someone who is not in this room, Are we going to pursue reconciliation somehow? And my plea is, I want to start with you in this room. Whatever sin that has been committed against you has been paid for. If you don't voice your offense, okay, it's not even this church, even it's own personal life, and there's brokenness somewhere else. It's not related to anything to do with this church, but it's family, wherever it may be. By not voicing your offense, but you know the gospel story, what you're saying is that you are trying to find a different atonement, a different covering that is not the blood of Jesus. Maybe it's the atonement of saying, I just like to kind of smile and pretend like that issue isn't there. So when I see that person, we have this feeling of we're okay. That feels more comfortable than having a really hard conversation with them. That's a different kind of covering that is not sufficient to heal that relationship. But the blood of Christ is sufficient. Do you believe that this morning?
Maybe it's a heart of resentment over the years that you pretended isn't as strong as it really is. And so you kind of, you become numb to its intensity in your own life and you've not laid it at the foot of the cross for Jesus to tear down that wall of hostility yet. Whatever the reasons are for you not walking up to that person or those people, if they are in this room this morning in your family, wherever it may be, and seeking reconciliation, I ask you, reread the scripture I'm an heir, I'm an heir, but I don't think I am here. Are you willing to forgive them? And are you willing to take steps towards reconciliation? So church, dream with me for a moment. What would a church look like that truly lived, at least in our most weakest and frail efforts, truly lived in light of the gospel of reconciliation? If Billy Moore, driven by the good news of the gospel, was driven to a willing spirit to even write letters to the family of the man that he murdered, guys, that is a big gospel that would give somebody the the willingness to do that. Could you imagine the sweat that was probably pouring off of his face as he was penning that letter? If that is possible to find, to hear that story, and there's so many other stories like that, that we know of, that many of you know of, that Christ has just walked in and just healed amazing brokenness. If that's possible, we know that anything is possible with our God. So let's be a church that walks in light of this. And I challenge you this morning, if you're here, take that first step. And as Paul said, as the Word of God said, the God of love and peace, He will be with you as you take it. Can I pray? And call our worship team up as we close. Jesus, we want to be deeply formed disciples in this room, Jesus. Lord, I felt such a, just a burden and a heaviness in my own life this morning, just asking, just ensuring that if I'm preaching a message like this, that I'm the one being willing to be confronted by you as well. Lord, you are a God who loves, and sometimes love has a confronting nature to it. And we're thankful for that, Jesus. You don't want to leave us alone, Lord. You are after us. You want us to grow into the image of your Son. Your Spirit is within us, just, just, He's chasing after us and molding us and just speaking those words in our ear that says, you, you, you've got you to face this. You can't walk away from it any longer. It's ripping you up. Lord, if there's anybody that's just, their shoulders just bent over with the weight of a situation in their own life that is broken that they have not yet confronted, Jesus, would you give them the courage this morning that you had to even leave your boat in heaven and come down to be a slave, Lord, on this earth, the lowest of society, and to even suffer, Lord. Just what a crazy story the incarnation really is. Or may we build a culture here to as a church, we are just in love and grace, willing to have those hard conversations with one another. Lord, knowing that Jesus, that you can bring healing. Lord. We love you, Jesus. We know that you... You were able, Lord, to... You invited us, Lord, to, to cast our burdens on you, Lord, because your yoke is easy, Jesus. Your comfort is available and, and readily uh, here for us, Lord, that the stories of a Zacchaeus, Lord, of the Good Samaritan, and all these stories in Scripture, they're real, 
Lord, like they, that they are your vision that you, you put in front of us to pursue and nothing is outside of the supernatural work of your hands to bring healing to. May we not be sitting in our hands with the good news of the gospel and knowing the work of reconciliation between us and you, but Lord, may that reconciliation uh, that we've experienced with you bleed onto those around us, Jesus. That even if it's not received well from the other part, Lord, would you drive us to be able to forgive those who have sinned against us and to at least do our part that you have called us to do. Lord, as we see the impossible, which was the early church, looking at Gentiles coming into their own ranks and saying, wow, they were just like us, sinners in need of grace. Lord, may you do the impossible work in our own life of reconciling even those dark areas in our life that need it, Lord. We love you, and Jesus, we pray this in your good name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when brethren, brothers, and sisters live together in unity. I'm going to uh, ask you to stand with me. Marcia, I'm going to switch. If you can pull up, if you can find it, break dividing walls. We'll just start it. There is a place of commanded blessing Where brethren in unity dwell A place where anointing oil is flowing And we live as one You have called us to be a body you have called us to be a body you have called us as friends join together in the bond of the spirit until the Join with the prayer of Jesus As you are, so let us be one Join together in the bond of the Spirit All for the love of your Walls. We will break dividing walls. We will break dividing walls in the name of your Son. We will break dividing walls. We will break dividing walls. And we will be one. We will break dividing walls. We will break dividing walls. We will break. In the name of your Son, we will break dividing walls. We will break dividing walls. And we will be one. Father, we join. Father, we join with the prayer of Jesus. 
And we 